Hey everyone and welcome to the Dear Lifesaver podcast by Islamic Relief UK. Here we're tackling some big questions we have about aid in the 21st century, finding out what it takes to save a life and exploring how faith factors into all of this. The biggest question is, could you help save and transform more lives by learning something new about humanitarian aid? I'm Sarah and I'm Nabila. And in this episode, we're talking to Dr. Wajid Akhtar. Amongst his many achievements, he's the founder of Charity Week, a global initiative uniting charities together with students from all ages to raise millions of pounds each year for those in need. The holy month of Dhul Hijjah is upon us, and we're speaking to Dr. Akhtar on the subject of sacrifice from his perspective as a major fundraiser and as a Muslim. We get his opinion on interpreting the key message of Hajj in everyday life. Dr. Wajid, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be able to speak with you as someone who's created this amazing initiative, which is Charity Week and bringing people together to, to raise millions in the space of days. Uh, so we thought that you might have some powerful insights um, to share with our listeners on the key message of this month, given the work that you do. Why is Dhul Hijjah and the story of the Hajj important for so many and, and for you? <laughs> no, it's the other way around. I'm very grateful to be here. So I hasten to add I'm not an Islamic scholar, um, but I have an interest in Islamic history. And from what I understand, the days of Dhul Hijjah were holy and significant even before the advent of Islam. So it was recognized that these are special days, it's a special month, the month of Dhul Hijjah. And there's a well-known hadith of the Prophet where Ibn Abbas, his cousin, who said that the Prophet reported that there are no deeds more pure to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, nor greater in reward than good deeds performed in the 10 days of the month of sacrificing, in the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. Now, we don't often know why a specific month has been chosen or a specific set of days have been chosen. Uh, you know, why was the Quran revealed in Ramadan and not in Shaban? And Shaban would have been holy. And why sometimes it isn't as important as understanding that what Allah SWT is doing over here is showing us that He knows how we tick. He knows how human beings function. And the way human beings function is we're forgetful. And we get distracted and we have things that come up and make us busy. You know, life gets in the way, family work, career, and therefore, as the creator, he's given us touch points during our life that we can reconnect with him. So for me, this is one of the proofs that Islam is the true religion, because no other religion has such a well-regulated touch point. You know, there's five daily prayers. It's very difficult. If you're sticking to the five daily prayers and you're doing it properly and you're you know, connecting with Allah SWT, it's very difficult to be a really evil person because you literally have to be someone who's evil, 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 take a break for Zuhar. Evil, 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 take a break for Asr. I mean, you, you know, it's, it doesn't fit. So it's a station that kind of refreshes and recharges our spiritual batteries. So we have that five times a day. Once a week, we need a, a bigger recharge. Once a week, you might need to literally charge your laptop or your phone all the way to 100% or as opposed to just, you know, just sticking into the charger for a few minutes. And that's Juma prayer. And that's to it as a whole community. And once a year, you need a whole boost, which is Ramadan. It's like a whole 
month-long boost of a spiritual recharge and a refresh and you get ready and you know that carries you through to the rest of the year right and you need that if we didn't have ramadan it's so easy to get stuck in a rut and let things slip but it gives you a chance to refresh your spiritual battery and once in a lifetime once in a lifetime you need the ultimate recharge and that is the hajj I love how you've um, broken it down in this way. Um, you're right, it's so easy to get stuck in a repetitive routine without much meaning. Um, and I guess it's it, it's so humbling to have been gifted these opportunities from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for us to draw closer to him. Um, and when we see it in this way, it changes everything. Um, Dr. Wajid, do you have any tips um, or ha- kind of habits we can undertake during the month of Dhul Hijjah? I don't believe that there's any specific habit that we've been told so again uh, the relevant hadith the abdullah ibn masud who was uh, one of the great sahabis he said he heard the prophet say no good deeds can be done at a time better than the first 10 days of Dhul hijjah and you know th- there, w- there was no specific good deed uh, identified at that point and and for me that that fits in with uh, with the whole beauty of hajj I, I I was lucky enough. I grew up in um, in in Arabia and uh, had a chance to go on Hajj a couple of times and Umrah many times. And I reflected on you know like Hajj is very it's very regimented. It's not like a lot of other spiritual retreats. Most spiritual retreats that people go on is like you go away to a cave or a room or a forest and you sit there and you think. Um, but then you come to the Hajj and it's like you got to turn up at this time. And if you don't turn up at this time, then, you know, you're not going to get your Hajj. And then you have to go here by this day. And you've got to pick up this many number of stones and you've got to get back here. Then you've got to go there. Then you've got to go. And you're always on the move. You have to make sure that you get the pillars of Hajj done. You've got to get the, the specifics done. And somewhere in between the trying to get your food and, you know, find your tent and and and, and get to, to Muzdalifah on time or get out of Arafat on time, somewhere between all of that, you're supposed to be spiritual, right? How does that work? That isn't that is, like initially it didn't make sense to me, and then I realized it is because Hajj and Islam isn't about monasticism, about like you know what, take a break from reality. How often can people take a break from reality? Tell a young mom to take a break from reality. Like I'm sorry, I've got a kid. I can't take a break from reality. I can't go off on a retreat, or someone who's you know has to work every day and I can't take holidays. How do you take this two-month break? It's something only very rich and privileged people can afford. So Islam is all about re- realistic connecting to God. And it's almost reminding us that you've got to you've got to do all the things that you normally have to do, right? Hajj is busy and life is busy. And you don't you will not get days at a time to sit there and reflect. You will be you know, your mom will tell you, did you get the milk? And then you'll be like, oh, and then your friend phones you and says, I need to speak to you. And then you then you have to go in early the next day to work. And somehow in the midst of life, you have to carve out the times and the ways to be do a good deed, to be spiritual. And that, so Hajj is like training for real life. It's like, how do I, how can I be spiritual in real life? How can I uh, do a good deed? So I would almost say that there isn't a specific good deed it's about doing good deeds somehow in these 10 days and fitting it in within life. So you've said that the Hajj is a training for life and its key message, which is sacrifice, is therefore something 
we need to think about um, on a daily basis as, as Muslims. Um, what would sacrifice mean to Muslims today? Because the experience of Ibrahim salam being asked to sacrifice his son by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not something we have or will experience. Um, very good question, because that's pretty much what it's about, right? Like Hajj is about, uh, it's built around the idea of sacrifice. It's built around the idea of being able to sacrifice for something greater than yourself. And uh, we often trick ourselves into thinking that we can get away with sacrificing a little bit because it's not really touching us, but real sacrifices hurt. Um, and I guess that's that's the story of Hajj. I mean, the the, the actual lead up to sacrificing Ismail, Islam, like, like the, the, the almost sacrifice is very interesting. So again, like if you go on Hajj, I, I would always tell people for a minute, turn off your I'm in Hajj mode and turn on your history glasses and ask yourself like, you know, what happened here and what's going on? Imagine that you're Sherlock Holmes at a scene of a, a crime or a scene of, scene of event, you know, like you're analyzing. Shaitan has always been trying to trick humanity it must have taken a very special occasion for him to appear in person, right? To turn up in person. And he turned up in person three times. That's desperation, right? That is, he's desperate to stop this from happening. What he did when he turned up in each of these three different times was he tried to convince Ibrahim um, three different ways not to sacrifice. He didn't come and tell him three times, please don't do it, please don't do it, please don't do it, because that would be a rookie move, and he's not a rookie. He came and said, you know, one time he said, you know, what would the people say? One of the times he reappeared, because Ibrahim Aysam threw stones at him, right? Which is why we throw stones, saying, get lost. Um, and then he came again, and he was like, maybe you misinterpreted the dream, right? So one was like, what will people say? What will his mother say? Because you didn't tell her, you didn't tell Hadra what you're planning to do, right? What will people say? What will Hadra say? The second time was, you know, you saw a dream, Ibrahim. Like, maybe you got the dream wrong. Does it, you know, like, you, like uh, did you ever think of that? Maybe it was just a dream, right? And, you know, playing on that little bit of doubt because the prophet's dreams are not the same as our dreams, right? Maybe our dreams are wrong, but not Prophet's dream. And then the third time, he tried to use the logical argument, going, Ibrahim, logically, what would Allah SWT gain from this child's sacrifice? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't fit with, you know, who you think of God as being. So similarly, when you make a sacrifice, then you know that your sacrifice is a real sacrifice if you start having doubts, if it doesn't hit you and it doesn't hurt you and doesn't make you think and it doesn't, there's nothing at all. I'm not saying you haven't done a good deed, but you know, I, I don't think it crosses that threshold for sacrifice. It's really um, interesting what you said about how an element of making a sacrifice should be that we are uncomfortable um, and that it should hurt. How do we come to terms with the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asked Ibrahim alayhi salam to sacrifice his own child? So 
it's a concept that doesn't make some sense to someone without faith because then it sounds like this is immoral uh why would a loving god do that and it's very similar to the question uh what people ask where they say if god is loving if god is merciful then why do children die why do innocent people suffer and if you have faith then what you know is that um any suffering any tragedy that anyone experiences is a very sad tragic chapter in their life but that is not their entire story and that there is a a whole section of the story that is not that we are not aware of and we cannot see you do not pick up a book and you're like oh my god harry potter is getting beaten that's it i shut the book and the book is over and there's like it's 10 chapters left there's there's going to be something good that happens afterwards, right? Just because there's something tragic that happens in chapter six doesn't mean that there's no point reading on. And that is very similar to, to the situation here, that we are only aware of what's in front of us. And the greater plan, the greater picture, we can't see. And we're, we're not knowing, but there is a beauty in it if you have faith. Um, there's a Persian saying where there was an ant that was traveling and it hit a red wall and then it went to the right and it was yellow and then it went up and down it was blue and green and it was just a mess of like walls everywhere of different colors and the ant you know said to itself who made this you know seemingly mad maze that i have to go through but what i didn't realize that it was walking on a beautiful persian rug because the ant can only see just so far and someone with a better vantage point can see that there is a great plan to this that it is actually a beautiful rug that you've made and it, even though it you know there are lots of different colors and you have to navigate your way through it that there's something good at the end of it so dr wajid what lessons have you learned um for your own life from what the hajj represents and um how did it help you inform the makings of the initiative you started um which is charity week could you tell us about that there's so many lessons that you can take away from Hajj, but you know one of the big lessons that everyone takes away, obviously, is the unity. For me, coming from a scientific background in in my career, I've always been touched by the plight of our fellow human beings, but especially Muslims. It's no secret that forty five percent of the world's Muslims are illiterate. It's no secret that more than 75 to 80 percent of all the world's refugees are muslims it's no secret that you know we have horrible rates of corruption in our countries uh, of uh, sexual harassment of animal uh, maltreatment of child mortality you know we have every problem under the book that you can name we've got it and this is something that bothers right every listener to this is at some point if you're listening to this if you're a muslim you have at some point been upset at the situation of your people. Why don't we make things that benefit any humanity anymore? Why do we have to go back a thousand years to Ibn Sina, Ibn Nafis? Where, why don't we build beautiful buildings like the Taj Mahal, the Alhambra, why, and, and, and so on and so forth? And I realized that just like Allah SWT has not sent any disease without a cure, similarly, he, this disease of disunity that's destroying us, this disease of all these illnesses, 
have a common feature and they're that to treat them you need to be united first you cannot overcome huge problems on your own for me that's the thing that i took away and that's the whole point of charity week so charity week was what happens if instead of muslims organizing charity events randomly throughout the year what happens if we all did it at the same time wearing the same t-shirts with the same logo for the same cause and what happens is a bunch of students raising more than a million pounds in a week what happens is students saying i saved up for two years to buy a laptop and i've donated that entire funds for orphans thank you dr wajid that was really inspiring mashallah i think we can all take away something from that um I remember the first week of my role at Samak Relief, I attended the Charity Week annual dinner um, and I could just see and feel how coming together makes such a huge difference versus doing something alone. Um, I guess the reason that millions are raised in such a short space of time during Charity Week is because of the really active role that people play in raising that money. Um, what would you say to people who are deterred from donating online or even through direct debit um, because they don't think it makes as much of a difference. You have to remember that 50 years ago, if we were here and Islamic Relief and the, you know, the automated system of giving doesn't, didn't exist, and if I wanted to help alleviate the suffering of the people in Yemen, how would I do that? I would literally need to know someone who is going physically there, give them the cash and hope that they take it there and do something useful with it. And now, you know, if I'm like worried because I've got an exam coming up or if I'm happy because we've got a new baby, I can just click, click, click and it's gone. Like how amazing is that? We don't, we don't appreciate that enough because it's so easy for us to do. I mean, the way I use it is I try to set it up so that I know that if God forbid I forget or, you know, something happens, then at least that minimum amount, I haven't missed like my that that little bit of benefit because I've intentionally made sure that that amount goes but I would always say that your five minutes of your time is worth more than five pounds or 50 pounds or 500 pounds it's that that the time the energy that you put in is what's going to be truly truly valuable if you hear the excuse like I don't know what to do or I don't know how to do it or who would listen and this is those shaitan, you know, coming with you saying, ah, you're not religious enough to do this kind of stuff. Like, you know, this is money for, like, who are you? You don't even, you know, you don't even look the part. Or you, or shaitan will come to you and say, you don't have the time for this. Or it will come to you and say, you know, it's not going to work. So roll up your sleeves, get involved, either with a new project, start set up your own project, or with a project that already exists, and you will your life will be changed far more than anyone else's life that you will end up changing, inshallah. Um, Dr. Wajid, if there was one piece of advice you would give us in regards to making the most of Dhul Hijjah, what would that be? But if Hajj teaches us anything, Hajj is difficult. Hajj is hard. I, I remember when, uh, my younger brother and I, uh, we were arguing on Hajj because um, we wanted to go to do the stoning of the Jamarat of the Shaitan. And we were, were like, we want to go, we want to go, we want to go. My dad, first my dad said, no, none of you are going. And then we're like, no, we want to go, we want to go, we want to go. 
And then he got annoyed and he said, fine, you pointed to me because I was older. You can come, but you, you can't. And I was, uh, I was like making faces and my brother going, ah, 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 I get to go, you don't, you loser. Um, and while we were walking there, as we got closer, he turned to me and said, uh, he said, keep holding on to my hand because if you let go, you'll fall. And if you fall, you will die. And if you die, I'm not going to reach out after you because I'll die too in the crush. And suddenly I was like, why did you bring me? <laughs> why didn't you choose him? <laughs> you know, because this is serious. And exactly at that moment, I saw like a wheelchair that had what used to be a wheelchair crumpled into just, it, it just, it was just mashed because of the crush of people. And there were 10 bodies on the floor um, with their haram covering them because they passed away in the crush. Hajj is serious. Hajj is a sacrifice even now. Uh, a lot of people can and will die. It's hot. It's difficult. It requires an incredible amount of patience. But that sacrifice is worth it for something truly amazing at the end of it. And, um, and, and that's what I would recommend to everyone is that you need to sacrifice, like get out of your comfort zone and you can achieve, inshallah. For charities, they don't need necessarily your money. They need your money, yes. But there are lots of people who can use money. But if, you, if you, they had your time, your intelligence, your brilliance, and your patience, because a lot of us don't have patience. If you're willing to be patient, and if you're willing to work with a single-minded intention, with a straight goal, Hajj has a very clear goal. You want to get to Hajj. You want to get to Arafat. He has a very clear goal for Hajj. Then... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward you, inshallah, with blessings like you can never imagine. Um, I wanted to ask, how do we get started? How do we build a legacy? Uh, when should we start saving for Hajj? H how do we prioritize? Um, it'd be really amazing if you could just shed some light on this, um, especially with the experiences you've had and mashallah, like the legacy that you've built with Charity Week. Please tell us, how do we get started? Getting started, I would always tell people, um, Start by treating the uh, work that you're going to do as you would getting married. And the difference between when you're thinking about marriage versus thinking about a hookup, a marriage is something that you will think about. You will think, you know, for a long time about who fits with your personality who fits with not just who you are today, but who you're going to be in 10 years time, right? Because you might be on a completely different trajectory and you might be a different person in 10 years time. Who fits with your family, right? Who fits with what you want to achieve in life? You actually spend a lot of time thinking about who you're going to marry. And then finally, you make your decision. And it could take a year or two years or three years, doesn't matter, but you want to make the right decision, not the quick decision. And then when you make the decision, then you stick with it. Say, my Lord is Allah, and I'll be straight, be firm on that decision. No, you know, um, you know, if there's an argument, you work through it. If there's if there's difficulties, then you 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 know you you, you forgive each other, or you you be patient, or you know, there's always give, give and take, but you will persevere. And if you do that, then at the end of a marriage, you end up with what? You end up with kids. You end up with a legacy. You end up with a future. 
right? You end up with Sandakajarya. For far too many people, the first step is usually treating the Islamic work as a one-night stand. It's today I'm interested in charity, so I do this. Tomorrow I'm interested in these, I do that. Day after tomorrow is fifth. And then you just keep switching. Because every time the going gets tough, you get going, right? Um, and uh, every time it's difficult, every time you have an argument, every time, you know, you need to actually sit down and do some research to, to take it from here to here, it's better to give up and walk away. Whereas if you spend your time and you've thought about what is it that's going to define you and your existence, right? And believe me, nine to five is never going to define your existence. It's the five to nine life that will define your existence. What you do between 5 p.m. and 9 a.m. the next morning is what your life is going to be about. But yeah, the first step I would always say is work out what is your thing? What's your thing that you're going to do? Take your time, think about it for, uh, you know, in depth, think about it from lots of different angles. And then when you make that decision, inshallah, stick with it. And if part of the barakah actually comes with sticking with your decision. Thank you, Dr. Wajid, for your yes, time. Thank you. Um, Jazakallah khair for sharing these incredible gems of wisdom um, with us and feeling so inspired. I know this is the first time we've had you on the podcast, but I'm I'm really sure that it definitely won't be the last. Definitely. So thank you again. Jazakallah khair. Looking forward to it. Thank you to Dr. Wajid for joining us on that episode. Uh, it's given me a lot to think about with regards to this overall question of what sacrifice means in today's context. What we like to do in this segment of the episode is for me and Nabila to get back together a week after we've recorded and discuss some of the things that resonated with us most in that recording session and um, some of the ways we've implemented it in our daily lives. So Nabila, would you like to go first? Um, sure, Sarah. <laughs> Um, no, it was it was like a really incredible conversation. Um, I remember straight afterwards, we were both just so, I guess, like lost for words and inspired. I really love Dr. Wajid's analogies, especially the one about carving time out in your day for God and how um, like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us opportunities within our day, within the month, within the year to draw near to him. Um, and I think when you really kind of like deep that it's it's really powerful and really yeah really incredible that we have all of these opportunities in our daily lives and what almost like reset that dr wedger described does for me now that i understand what a sacrifice actually is and then how i can do that on a daily basis so my main takeaways were like that is mainly always going to be your time and the thing that you find the hardest i've had that experience too where i've just found myself bailing because i know that it's it's such a commitment for me to like get up and show up with a certain amount of energy for a certain cause on a weekly basis especially when it's not compulsory as well yeah exactly and i feel like with um times like dhul hijjah for example or other really important days um, of the year with Ramadan it's compulsory so it's kind of like what Dr Wajid was saying is I guess how easy it is to do uh, to perform fast in Ramadan versus um, doing just sticks in Shawwal and even um, during Dhul Hijjah like fasting Dhul Hijjah you know a lot of us find it hard and when things aren't compulsory so you know how you were saying like going to the food bank it's not compulsory for you to go like of course it'd be incredible if you did go and you know you you um, upheld that commitment I guess 
process mm. but at the end of the day like it's something that's voluntary so if you do it it's good if you don't like it's okay as well mm. and I and I think that there are so many opportunities like Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us in terms of drawing close to him and these are all voluntary acts mm. that they're just so much harder to do um because they're not made far so I guess like when we look at the rewards that we can receive as, as Muslims performing farth acts, just kind of t- to even just imagine the rewards we could receive if we were doing all the voluntary ones too is really, yeah. And, it, and it's also not to say that the, the compulsory ones are um, not enough of a sacrifice, right? Mm. Because um, it's sometimes those things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks us to do that are compulsory that are the hardest. Mm. Um, like for example, uh, like for me, like wearing the hijab and knowing that it's an obligation of mine and knowing that actually it would be a sacrifice for me to put it on and it would be and knowing that there is a hikmah behind it some that I might understand and at some point in this journey I might not understand and I guess that loops us right back to that whole story and overarching message behind Ibrahim being asked to sacrifice his son because there was a hikmah and it was so these for me again the thing that resonated with me most and the thing that I have taken away this week is what can I see that I can sacrifice on a daily basis whether it's compulsory or voluntary um whether it's a big grand gesture whether it's mundane on a daily basis what can I do and then it's also understanding that those actions have a ripple effect um and might maybe not in the way that you think it does on things and people down the line that could eventually save a life one act of love one act of kindness one act of sadhaka affects another and then that affects another that's really beautiful um and i guess ultimately that that's a legacy as well exactly and i think that a lot of the time like even you know the acts that you were describing that might be mundane i guess they are seemingly kind of mundane to us but in the eyes of allah like you know like i'm sure they're the complete opposite and i think that um one of the things that i've been reflecting on is that growing up a lot of the time you hear the word sacrifice when it's associated to like mothers um and and with their children with their families with their marriages um and i was just reflecting on how sacrifice is to do with um love so it's only when you love something or love someone that you um sacrifice and i guess um like with ibrahim alayhi salam um, and his story is out of like pure love for allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he he, he, you know, was about to perform this act of sacrificing um, his son, Ismail, alayhi salam. Um, and it's, it's just incredible, that kind of level of love and, I guess, detachment from this dunya as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, and I guess one of the things that um, I wasn't aware of was that Shaitan approached Ibrahim, alayhi salam, three times. I think Dr. Wajid said something like, his attacks are thoughtful because, you know, he knows what to do, what to whisper, what to say, to lead us astray. And... I guess one of the scary things or one of the things um, that I hadn't really kind of thought about when it comes to shaitan is how he will make you feel like your good deeds are just sufficient and you won't do any better. And I think that growing up, we never really think about shaitan in that kind of context Mm -hmm. where it's to do with doing good and not doing better. It's almost always to do with doing a bad deed as opposed to doing something that's just sufficient. Mm -hmm. And I guess like um, actions are judged by like the end as well so um if you are listening to this whilst it's near the end of the hijjah um just you know do your best on this last kind of um last bit of it
If you have had anything that particularly resonates with you from this episode or anything that's inspired you that you'd like to share with us or the listening community, um, why not get in touch with us? You can find us on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook at Islamic Relief UK. And for future episodes, make sure you guys subscribe to the Dear Lifesaver podcast on Acast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all major streaming services. Thank you again to Dr. Wajid for joining us on this episode and to you our listeners, we'll see you on the next one inshallah. Thank you. Asalaamu Alaikum.